Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice, and they're available on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate it if you would do that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I can turn on your microphone and announce you by your area code. Again, we appreciate it when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to 
live into our intention with this work, and the intention with this work is to be of service. So please let us know, how can we be of service to you today? What's landing well for you? What's working? What's helping you? What particular questions or issues do you have that we might help you with related to the worksheet process or the targeted journaling process or through early memories of conflict or any of the other tools that Michael and Jeannie offer absolutely free through the website at whyagain.org. The other website that's been launched now for about four years to help support and drive traffic to whyagain.org is the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And you can go there to find out information about some of the shows that I consider to be highlight shows and some of the first hours of some of the shows we've done in the past four years, especially during the uh, uh, last year when we were doing the course in, or the uh, Way of Mastery. Um, those shows are all archived there and singled out as um, basically as highlight shows because they hold together as uh, a deep dive into the Way of Mastery. You can also find all the information you need to join us for our Tuesday and Thursday support groups. We had a support group last night, and we had the largest turnout we've had in quite a long while, maybe well over a year. We had eight, eight people plus me in the support group last night. So, uh, again, we have gratitude to everyone who chooses to join us for those events, for those community gatherings. And um, and we just work to do our best to make that be useful for people, to have it be of service for people. We talk a lot in this work in the MindShifter support groups and on the MindShifter Internet show about being gentle with oneself. And I remember years ago I I heard an interview with Sylvia Borstein, who I describe as a Jewish Buddhist grandmotherly type. And the interviewer, Krista Tippett, asked her at one point about something she'd read. Krista had read that in one of her books, Sylvia had talked about how whenever she gets upset, she puts her hand over her heart space and she speaks lovingly to herself. And she says, Sylvia, sweetheart, you're in pain. Let's take a few deep breaths. Then we'll look at everything that's going on. We'll calm down. And then we'll decide what to do. But for now, Sylvia, sweetheart, you're in pain. And that touched me so deeply, probably because for years I'd been trying to help my patients be more gentle with themselves, um, move out of the game of shoulds, uh, 
understand that each of us has our own path to walk and it's going to be all right as long as we just keep striving for the best we can do in each moment and learning and growing. So being gentle with oneself has been a core of my message in working with people in my private practice and in the support group and on the Internet show for quite a while. And, if you've been following the show for a while, you realize that I have been talking a little bit about Andrea Gibson as a spoken word artist and an author. And so... I recently ran across a um, a spoken word piece related to this that I decided to share today. And that it, it's difficult for me to single out which spoken word piece or poem or whatever you want to call it by Andrea I would share on a certain day because so many of them move me quite deeply. But the one I decided to share today in line with the theme of let's be gentle with yourself another way to talk about that in Guy Finley's work is he says the vast majority of your mental and emotional and psychological pain is the bitter fruit of a comparative life. So if you're comparing yourself to somebody else and you come out on top, what happened was you you were comparing your highlight reel to their outtakes. And if you compare somebody yourself to somebody else and they come out on top, you're comparing their highlight reel to your outtakes. And this is only a recipe for suffering. Comparison, comparative life, yields bitter fruit. Only, always, and forever. Because that judging, that comparing has judgment in it. And so many of our teachings and these deep spiritual teachings say, if you understood what happened, how disruptive it is, even the cells in your body don't function well. When you judge, if you understood that, if you could see it clearly, you would never judge again. That's from the way of mastery. And, of course, Bruce Lipton has it in his work as a cellular biologist. He sees the disruption in the functioning of the cell whenever the mind energy of the person goes to a stress response or a fight-or-flight response. So here is a piece by Andrea Gibson titled, To Whom It Definitely Concerns. And the piece reads, Please accept this letter as formal notification that I am resigning from the position of my own worst enemy. I have appreciated the opportunity to lower my standards so far that I could win a limbo contest against a crumb. 
I've been honored to serve as the server at the banquet where I eat myself alive. The day I was hired, I could never have imagined how many Employee of the Month plaques I would acquire from breaking the standing record for standing in my own way. In this position, I've grown continuously, like bacteria in a staph infection. I had no idea that holding myself back would be contagious. I would like to have a different kind of impact on the future of the company I keep. The scene I made during our last team-building exercise woke me to the need for a change. I know that the young people in the office are still shaken by my refusal to catch myself in the trust fall. I apologize for that gory display. Moving forward, I'll be pursuing opportunities in another field, preferably where one where the break rooms are for resting and not for breaking promises to the person I hope to become. I fully intend to replace whatever dreams I shattered when I was beating myself up. I have no idea where I learned punching in was a literal term. If I had known better, I would have called in sick in the head. I accepted this position initially because I believed it came with the very best insurance plan. After all, how could I fall to my death from the ground floor? Over the years, however, I've gotten increasingly familiar with the fine print of the benefits. Turns out there are no benefits when the copay is your life. I understand it's customary to give two weeks' notice, but I've only got two minutes. And in those two minutes, I will, number one, fire my inner critic, or at least demote it to part-time. And number two, assure my passions have the tools they need to unionize with my actions. And number three, I will sit naked on the photocopy machine so there are 100 copies of my ass to kiss when I'm gone. Though I suspect it won't bode well for acquiring a positive referral letter, it's important I state that I am unwilling to train a replacement in this position. It is my suggestion that the job be eliminated altogether and that no future person take on the task. If I can aid in that transition, please let me know. Sincerely, your name goes here. Please resign from the job of being your own worst enemy. Please awaken to what Michael Singer would call us to in the untethered soul, to realize that most of us allow an abusive roommate to live in our heads rent-free, to say to us routinely and consistently things we would never allow another human being in our physical space to say to us on a regular basis. Please awaken to the negative impacts of negative self-talk. And, as The Course in Miracles and Diedrich Wolzak would call us to, choose again. Choose for love over fear or bitterness or hatred or sadness. Choose again. Choose for love. 
There's also another spoken word piece that Andrea has done that is extraordinarily relevant in this month where people are trying to support the LGBTQ plus community. And I would encourage anyone who's got any friends or any family members in that category to look up the spoken word piece by Andrea Gibson titled, Queer Youth Are Five Times More Likely to Die by Suicide. It's not directly relevant to our internet show, and yet I feel it's worth mentioning. Andrea Gibson, if you look for her on YouTube or you search for the PDF of this, you can probably get it without having to pay full price for one of her books or audio files, although it's worth every penny and then much, much more. But the title of this piece is Queer Youth Are Five Times More Likely to Die by Suicide. And I recommend it. So our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. How can we support you today? If no hands go up, I will return my attention to reading from the Walk in the Physical book by Christian Sundberg. The next essay I wanted to review, I know we've read it before, is True Accomplishment. It reads, we often think that when we're not physically doing anything, we're not accomplishing anything. We also often think that when we're not doing anything, nothing is happening. Neither is true. Our very being exists on a level that transcends all elements of the physical experience. We can move around all the physical props we like, but in one sense, we're doing little more than modifying pretend objects in a video game. The real action takes place in consciousness. The real change occurs within consciousness itself. The real scene is the landscape of your spirit. And thus our accomplishment in this life is not measured in physical objects moved around on the stage of life, but rather in the lasting impact we have with others and with ourselves. We are here to extend love. Loving and extending love to another and another who is a conscious being is a true accomplishment. Conquering one's own fear so that one may be more wide open and honest and loving is in itself a true accomplishment. This is attested to by thousands of people who have seen the other side in near-death or near-life experiences, as Dr. Rice would call them. The success of our life is in how much we have loved, 
not in what we have physically achieved. So the invitation is to take one moment today to do something truly loving for yourself or for another. For even if your act may seem small to you, it is the very reason the universe is here for you. The next essay I would read is Finding the Sensitive You, essay number 97. And the essay reads, Most of us are sensitive in ways that our ego won't admit. That sensitivity often leads toward the real you. The ego is not a separate entity. It is the part of us that wishes to protect us. We wish to protect ourselves. And one of the most common ways to do so is to avoid feeling pain, especially the pain of negative emotions that result from the limiting perspectives that we buy into and the negative beliefs we hold about ourselves and the world. We play all sorts of games with ourselves to avoid facing that which we do not want to face and to avoid feeling that which we do not want to feel. We effectively close ourselves off from our own actual experience. However, in so doing, we temporarily segregate ourselves from our own true nature our own true nature is unified and completely present with the whole of what is. The ego creates a cage of ideas and beliefs to, quote, protect us, close quotes. And as it does so, it imprisons us and we are no longer free. We accept the illusion of the cage under the direction of the ego, to avoid fear and pain rather than being fully present with exactly what is and feeling exactly what we feel. At the heart of the issue is our unwillingness to face our experience for exactly what it is, simply because doing so may be terrifying or painful. The way to heal, then, is to choose to fully allow our own experience, no matter what it may be, fully allow it without the protective beliefs, judgments, and stories of the mind. Doing so lets us leave behind the cage, and this can be absolutely terrifying and can even feel like personal destruction. However, in fact, reality itself is there to support you. Because despite its appearances, reality is ultimately built upon love, not pain. In fact, the universe itself wants you to succeed in integrating your life experience and conquering your fear. The universe itself wants you to succeed. 
But such a journey is not one that can be taken abruptly. It is the small movements towards the courage to genuinely feel the truth of what is. It's these small steps that help bring us closer to who we really are. So whenever you're ready, feel free to make the choice to actually feel what you feel no matter what you intellectually think it may mean about you. Feel your experience in your body rather than listening to the age-old learned stories of your mind. Beneath all the scars, you are still sensitive. And when you find that genuine sensitivity, the invitation is to allow it to feel it and embrace it. If you choose to do this, you will rediscover a piece of your true and ever-powerful self. Now, as I read that last paragraph, I think about the way of mastery and how many times we read in the way of mastery that love allows all things, love accepts all things, love embraces all things, love trusts all things, and thereby transcends all things. My eye and ear is telling me it's the same wisdom here. There is no such thing, in Guy Finley's words, there is no such thing as bad self-knowledge. We have compartmentalized and pushed away and blocked out and dissociated from different memories, different traumatic experiences, different energies, different beliefs within ourselves. Everyone, everyone I've ever met has done this. And the mechanism that drives that is the false conclusion that whatever it is I'm hiding from myself, that I'm compartmentalizing, that I'm dissociating from, whatever that is, it's in that hidden box or that chest that's all locked up and guarded. And the false belief is that whatever's in there is too much for me to deal with. It's too anger-inducing, it's too grief-inducing, it's too confusing, it's too intense, it's too sad, it's too lonely, it's too painful, whether it's a physical pain or mental emotional pain. I'm holding on to the false, I hope we hear this word false, this false conclusion that what I'm hiding from myself is bigger than me and it's going to destroy me or overwhelm me if I let myself be aware of it. And sometimes people ask, how can you say with such certainty that it's a false belief and it's a false thought and that the fear is unwarranted? And my answer is because Whatever is in your consciousness, whatever you've already lived through, you've already survived. And in the process of going through it, some part of you that thought it was being protective looked at it, went through it, experienced it, judged it, labeled it, and made the incorrect determination.
determination that this is too much for you to deal with and then decided to catalog it and hide it away from you. I don't know how much more it's possible to handle something than to see it, experience it, live through it, judge it, label it, and then hide it from yourself. This is why Guy Finley says there is no such thing as bad self-knowledge. In another talk he says, many of us are afraid of doing the worksheet process by Dr. Michael Rice or a targeted journaling like the Mind Shifter or going to a, a Guy Finley, you know, Talks in the Pines, Five Days Inner Exploration because we are afraid we're going to find out bad things about ourselves. We're going to recover traumatic memories that are bad facts about ourselves. And Guy Finley says there is no such thing as a bad fact about you that you're going to uncover. Everything that you've already lived through is a part of who and what you are, and it doesn't change your nature or your value or your substance or your ability to function when it's hidden away from you or when it's at the conscious logical level. So quite simply, there is no such thing as bad self-knowledge and there's no such thing as you discovering a bad fact about yourself. Put another way, you're whole and complete just the way you are. Warts and all, sloppiness and all, quote, bad, close quotes, habits and all. You are whole and complete just as you are. There is nothing of value that can be taken from you and nothing of value that can be added unto you. Essay 100 in the Walk in the Physical book is titled, Always Remember Your Light. And the essay reads, You are a part of the light. You are unspeakably valuable and amazing. You are a fragment of, of that which is. You are spirit. You are brave and immortal spirit. And you're now having the experience of a body. You, your essence, cannot be harmed. You cannot be forgotten and you cannot be replaced. You are never alone. You are cherished, adored, held up, and celebrated by countless thousands upon thousands of those who know and cherish you. You are a spark of the divine flame which shines bright in all things. You are a fire in the illusion of darkness. You are the presence of love. You, as the presence of love, are uniquely expressed as only you can. You are a powerful force, a mighty consciousness who has set out upon one of the greatest adventures thus far conceived. You are fully participating, and yet you are fully transcendent. Your every thought and intent speaks to the galaxies as they are your brothers and sisters. You are connected to every single thing that exists. 
You are so wonderful that you are beyond description. You are a universe unto yourself, and yet an ever-shimmering drop in the unspeakably brilliant ocean of the light. You are loved, and you are love. As you take your walk in the physical, set aside time to listen with your deepest being rather than listening with your mind and allow yourself to remember what you are. And every time I read that essay, number 100 from A Walk in the Physical, it reminds me of the first two paragraphs from the third lesson in The Way of Mastery. And this was people, I would say to people, you know, I view the way of mastery as a kinder, gentler version of the Course in Miracles. And if they said in response to that, what do you mean? I would go to the third lesson in the way of mastery and say, allow me to read you the first two paragraphs of this lesson. I think you'll understand what I mean when I call the way of mastery a kinder, gentler version of the Course in Miracles. The third lesson is titled, The Power of Forgiveness. And the first two paragraphs are as follows. If I search the languages of your world, I cannot find the words that can convey the love that I feel for you. I cannot find the words that can convey unto you the love that God has for all of us. I cannot find a concept, a word, an idea, a philosophy, or a dogma that can contain the mystery that is closer to you than your own breath and awaits your discovery. If I search throughout all of creation, if I search through the many mansions that exist within the domains of my Father's creation, and that creation is infinite, try as I might, I cannot anything that can truly describe you. I cannot find anything that is of greater value than you. In truth, I cannot discover anything that speaks more eloquently of the love that God is than your very existence. Therefore, in truth, I look upon you constantly and marvel at the radiance of my Father's love. It is through you that I come to discover all that God is. You are light. You are whole and complete, just as you are. There is nothing of value that can be taken from you and nothing of value that can be added unto you. One might say that the entire focus, the absolute goal of all the work we do on the Internet Show, MindShifters Internet Show, and the MindShifter support groups is helping people live into the realization of that observation. 
to truly observe your true nature. Dr. Michael Rice has it at the beginning of his worksheets. Your true nature, the very premise of this thing is that your true nature, your very being is the energy of creation, is love. And the point of the worksheet process is to help you see and let go of or remove or cancel or shebag or drop everything in your thought, mind, body, energy system, traumatic energy field that's less than that energy of love. So again, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, you can let us know how this is landing for you. Is this skimming across the surface? Is this a deep dive? Is this making any sense whatsoever? 563-999-3581. There are 10 people on the call. No one with a hand up. I will read the silence as validation and continue. I just read, always remember, you are light. The next essay is titled, The Importance of Your Worldview. Our physical reality is preceded by a non-physical one in which we, both individually and collectively, we help to drive whatever is physically manifested. One of the great forces that moves that process forward is expectation and belief. Thus, what you believe, or the nature of your worldview, is actually important for how your local experience will actualize. As we, quote, play the game, close quote, we have certain thoughts, certain ideas, certain beliefs, they tend to gain or lose momentum within the collective consciousness. That momentum is a powerful force. It's important to recognize, however, that the collective momentum always starts and ends with individual momentum. The individual is important. What you believe, your worldview, is important. You may not be consciously aware of it, and yet you are automatically communicating with all of the many millions of other, quote, players in the game, close quote, who exist within consciousness space. Your beliefs, your expectations, and your intentions not only affect the, quote, temperature of the water, close quote, in the collective consciousness, they also encourage others, and in a sense they, quote, give permission, close quotes, to others if those people feel it's necessary, give them permission to consider those same beliefs, expectations, and intentions as well. One person who shines bright with truly loving intent is like a beacon giving permission to many thousands of others to shine their own light as well. So the invitation is to take time then to look within and discover what beliefs and intentions you are sponsoring within the collective consciousness. 
What are you inspiring in your world today with your own mind and heart? Please don't be discouraged by the apparent scope of change that may seem to be required on the surface of this physical world, but rather recognize your power. For one person who is fully present and acting from a place of responsibility and genuine love can make a huge difference and inspire many others to do the same. And when I read that, it puts me in mind of Lesson 7 in the Way of Mastery. And in Lesson 7 in the Way of Mastery, it talks about this story of a blade of grass in a high mountain valley. And the idea is, it's the shadow of fear is the title of this section. And, and this way of mastery is trying to say the exact same thing. Do not try to heal this world. Do not try to make a show of how much you love another. Give up the concept of being a busy bee. Simply be the presence of love. Be that because you know that there's absolutely no value in being anything else but genuinely, consciously, presently in the moment, focused on the truth of your awareness that you are the force of love, the force of creation expressing in form. And in truth, you've never succeeded at being anything but the presence of love. It goes on and says, each sane moment that you've experienced, each moment of unlimitedness, each moment of genuine intimacy, each moment of grace-filled joy that you've ever known in whatever form it seems to appear, each of those has come because you've allowed your mind to slip into the sea of peace. There, you've merely abided, empty, wanting nothing, seeking nothing, being merely the presence of what you are. When that quality becomes cultivated so that it permeates your consciousness with each breath and with each moment, that is when you will know what Christ has indeed, what, that the Christ, the, the office of the Christ mind, has arisen that day. And you will celebrate your own re-arising, your own Easter, with each breath. And then the question is, if any of that is true, what then could ever possibly arise to obstruct, quote, the truth that is true always, close quotes. Well, here's what could arise to obstruct that. Here's a story. There's an ancient forest on your planet, a forest so high in a rugged mountain valley and so rugged that no one has ever been there. Unknown to the minds of humanity, life goes on in that forest. Deep within the heart of this forest this morning, a tiny little blade of grass seemed to be tossed by an unseen wind. As it was tossed for just a fragment of a moment, so subtle and soft was the wind that as the sunlight played against this blade of grass, it cast 
the smallest of conceivable shadows on a stone just a little bit away from the blade of grass. No one noticed. The shadow had no effect. The rock didn't even notice. No one on this planet noticed. No one in any of the heavens noticed except me, Yeshua. I needed something to build a story around. That tiny shadow, cast by a little blade of grass momentarily wiggling in a wind in some remote forest, that little shadow has virtually no effect on the turning of the planets. No effect on the creation of new suns, and certainly not one trace of effect on how deeply creation loves you. And yet, that little shadow is what you have given power to. That little shadow seems to be able to obstruct the truth within you, obstruct it from being lived. For in the moment that you gave that tiny little shadow power, in that very moment, fear was born. Fear is always a contraction away from love, away from truth, away from breath, away from expansion. And fear makes you smaller than the blade of grass that momentarily seems to cast a shadow and therefore obstructs your recognition of the warmth of the sun that bathes you always. Whenever you resist healing, whenever you struggle to learn to speak your truth, you may rest assured that something has occurred just prior to that. What is it? What has occurred is your decision to believe that that shadow is all-powerful and that if you heal, if you grow, if you change, if you let Christ live in you, then that little blade of grass and the tiny little shadow it casts for a very temporary moment will come and punish you and crush you. If you can truly take this story into your being and recognize the utter laughability of such a belief, you will never again fear fear. It doesn't say you'll never feel fear. It says you will never again fear fear. You will never again allow fear to master you and direct the course of your life. You will learn what it means to trust what is birthed in the heart. And you will arise and you will go forth without listening to the fear with no story at all. And you will accomplish whatever creativity wishes to express through you. And the whole while you will know that of yourself you do nothing. But life, the creative flow, love itself flowing through you can do anything. That again is from Lesson 7 in the Way of Mastery. 
The Shadow of Fear is the story in the section. Area code 541, you're in the air. Who do we have? 541? Celinda, I had to get to my mute button. <laughs> How are you this morning, Tim? Dr. Tim? Uh, well, if I had to answer that, I'd say I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. I had a question and also an offering. <clears throat> um, I've tried Okay, we you you dropped off. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? I heard the the last part of hear me. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Um, you had a question I, and an offering. You said. And an offering, and I've tried to read the Course in Miracles, and I just can't uh, absorb it. Uh, it's the language in, languaging just uh, is not my languaging. And I was wondering if anyone on the show um, or in your support group might like um, the three book, Course in Miracles. I'd be happy to send it to them. Um, and they could email me at my email address, which I think you have. Um and I was just wondering if I could have your opinion about that, not that it will make a difference in my decision, other than I will use it as support for making my decision. Um, my my opinion about what? About the Course in Miracles and if there would be anyone who would possibly like it in your support group or anybody well, listening to the Well, I'd be happy, I'd be happy... I'd be happy to have you put that out there, and anybody can raise a hand, contact me, or email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org if they would like to receive the um, the a full collection. Course in Miracles, the text, yeah. the, workbook, the workbook, and the and teacher's, teacher's manual. Right, right. So that's, um, that's fine. I, I support you in that. Perfect. Oh, wonderful. And... Um, the other thing I would like is to say that I've, I've started reading Carolyn Mace's book, The Anatomy of Spirit. I don't know if you're familiar with that book or not. Not that one specifically, no. Uh, for the second time. I think I read it the first time about 20 years ago. And um, it is so amazingly parallel um, to what we're doing and the Aramaic gospel she just comes at it from a little different position. And one of the things that I really enjoy about rereading this is she is a bona she comes from a Catholic background and even went to a Catholic college. Um and she is amazing what she has done. Uh, and it's very helpful for me when she talks about the energy medicine and our energy field, that we are energy creatures and that our love is the, is the most, is the, is the greatest power in the universe and all of those things. So I thought I'd share that with you because I thought it would be a hoot. I would love, um, love it if you and she were to have an interview together. Um, perhaps she would uh, consent to that if that's something that resonates for you. So along with 
Richard Rohr, another amazing Catholic, uh, and you, an amazing Catholic, and all my friends running around who are amazing Catholics, and my wanting to have been in a Catholic when I was a child, I just thought that would be fun. Okay, well, we'll see how that unfolds. Yeah, thank you, sir. And and the title of that book again that you're rereading is what? Uh, the Anatomy of the Spirit. Anatomy of the, the Spirit Anatomy by of Carolyn. The Spirit. Yeah, and okay. she spells her last name M Y S S, but it's pronounced Mace, like the the spice. Yeah. Okay. And, All right. Um, Anything else for today? I think that's it at the moment. I just really appreciated the support group last night. And also, I would love to send you a check to support um, the Mind Shifters Academy. I don't uh, use my credit card any more than I have to, but in order to do that, I would need an address for you. Um, and also, well, I didn't my, know if you ever gave out your, your phone. My, my, my recommendation would be to send that to Michael and Jeannie. Since okay. The, that that they're they're not profit not for profit is always accepting support because they're maintaining the website and they're maintaining the internet show and that website itself with its I think it's hundreds it may be thousands of pages and all the effort that Jeannie does on that that's something they don't talk about very much but they gladly accept donations that way and if you do it through that get it to them it's tax deductible if you need it to be that way too so that would be my recommendation well i i already contribute to them i was just going to try to expand that within my very limited um uh financial choices um uh i was going to support both of you but i will do whatever you feel most comfortable with i just realized that uh i I don't donate to the support group, and I would like to um, honor that with a check rather than a than a credit card. So whatever you're comfortable with, I'll, I can definitely forward a donation because I always do anyway whenever I have extra funds. Yeah, that'll work. That, that would be my, whatever that works would be for my you. choice. Okay, perfect. Thank All right. you so Anything much. Anything else? No, and have a sweet, sweet day. All right, Everybody you too. Everybody who's listening. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye. Blessings. Thank you for the call. So, again, the call number, 563-999-3581. We've got about four and a half, five minutes left. How can we support you today? What's on your mind? What's your reaction or response to the readings from today and or the sharing reading from Andrea Gibson and resigning from the job of being our own worst enemy I highly encourage each and every one of you to resign from that position and again if you don't understand that, you might read the first sections of Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul, and he talks about how we have uh, an abusive roommate living in our minds rent-free for most of us and um, 
how how observing that directly can let us understand how deeply unproductive that is. And perhaps once we understand that at deeper levels, we'll choose to release that practice and choose again, interrupt that process, see it as false, and usher ourselves into an entirely different experience of life. And again, the other spoken word piece that I mentioned that I'm not in the in, in in the space. I don't think I can do it justice, and I probably would get too emotional to read all the way through it. But it's from Andrea Gibson, and it's um, related to. the idea of um, how the statistics tell us that queer youth are five times more likely to die by suicide. So the spoken word piece titled Queer Youth are five times five times more likely to die by suicide. In this month of Gay Pride, I would recommend that if you have anybody in your life, friend or family, that struggles with being ostracized because of how they identify and in gender or in sexuality, this is a powerful piece to read for you and for them. And you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on the Internet as a PDF. Andrea Gibson is the author. Her spoken word piece, Queer Youth are Five Times More Likely to Die by Suicide. And again, I'd be happy to read it, except it's not exactly in line with what we do on Mindshifters Radio. And I'm pretty sure I couldn't get through it without choking up and crying. So I'll leave that for the listeners to do on their own. And since we're down to the last moment, minute, minute and a half, I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. And turn on her microphone for her. Yeah, sound mute. <laughs> Thank you. And it's it's cool that you mentioned the Michael Singer, because actually I've started the last uh, few weeks reading a couple of paragraphs out of his book. So I really am enjoying going through The Untethered Soul. Yeah, and we did uh, his, um, he has an 11-hour lecture series about that book that we're working through at different pieces of time in the support group, and they called for it again last night. So we listened to a half an hour of it, and that one half an hour I allotted an hour to it, and one half an hour was so intense that was all was needed to spark discussion for the entire rest of the group. So his work is powerful, and I hope you have a wonderful show. Thank you. Appreciate it. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio, and today is Wednesday, June the 7th, 2023. 
Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. You press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. And thank you, everybody, for letting us have another day off yesterday. We actually spent the day at the lake with uh, Ryan and Gabby. Gabby's birthday is Friday, and, of course, mine was last week. So we celebrated our two birthdays with a family day at the lake. And it was beautiful. Um, It was a little smoky, which is really strange. We weren't sure what was going on. Then we found out that it was actually smoke coming down from the fires in Canada. Uh, We did talk to Michael's family this morning. They were all okay. Hold the space for all of those. There's a lot of fires going on up there. And it seems kind of weird that the smoke would be all the way down here to Virginia. And they said it goes all the way down to North Carolina and South Carolina. So it's... It is definitely spreading out, so we hold the space for them. But we did enjoy the day, and thank you very much. And uh, I'm going to start out. I have been doing reading out of The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, and that's who uh, Dr. Tim had just mentioned. And we're starting Chapter 5, and it's called Infinite Energy. Consciousness is one of the great mysteries in life. Inner energy is another. It's actually a shame how little attention the Western world pays to the law of inner inner energy. I am not real sure where I got dropped off. All of a sudden, I just got a busy signal in my ear. (laughs) I'm going to back up just a little bit. So we're talking about um, being that we're aware there's a lot of studies and things going on about outside energy, and yet we don't give great value to the inner energy. And so people go about their lives thinking, feeling, and acting without the understanding of what makes these activities take place. The truth is... Every movement of your body, every emotion you have, and every thought that passes through your mind is an expenditure of energy. Just as everything that happens outside in the physical world requires energy, everything that happens inside requires an expenditure of energy. For example... If you concentrate and another thought interferes, you will have to assert an opposing force to fight the interfering thought that requires energy. And it can wear you out. Cancel that thought. Likewise, if you have a thought that you're trying to hold in your mind, but it keeps drifting off, you have to willfully concentrate to bring it back. When you do this, you are actually sending more energy to the thought in order to hold it in a given place. You also assert energy to deal with your emotions. If you have an emotion that you don't like and it's interfering with what you're doing, push it aside. You do this almost instinctively as that the unwanted emotion doesn't come up and disturb you. Every one of these acts is an expenditure of energy. Creating thoughts, holding on to thoughts, recalling thoughts, 
generating emotions, controlling emotions, and disciplining powerful inner drives all require a tremendous expenditure of energy. Where does all the energy come from? Why is the energy there sometimes and at other times you feel completely drained? Have you ever noticed that when you are mentally and emotionally drained, food doesn't help that much? Conversely, if you look at the times in your life when you were in love or excited or inspired by something, you were so filled with energy that you didn't even want to eat. This energy we are discussing does not come from the calories that your body burns from food. This is a source of energy that you can draw upon from inside. It is distinct from the outer energy source. The best way to examine this source of energy is to look at an example that you're in your 20s and your girlfriend or your boyfriend breaks up with you. You get so totally depressed that you start staying home alone. Soon, because you don't have the energy to clean up, everything ends up sprawled all over the floor. You can hardly get out of bed, so you just sleep all the time. You must be eating because there are pizza boxes laying all around, but nothing seems to help. You just have no energy. Your friends invite you out, but you decline. You are simply too tired to do anything. I'll stop right there, and I'll welcome Michael to the show. Talking about infinite energy. Well, thank you, dear heart. And yes, the energy is infinite, except if we choose to use that energy to restrict the flow of infinite energy. And when we look at how this energy system that we have called this body-mind unit operates, we have a great deal of control over how that energy moves. Or we lose control when we shut down aspects of our own structure. You know, in the ancient teachings, they said the... Uh, the veil of the temple must be rent in twain. And my offering is, you know, generally speaking, that's, that's, that's sort of presented as, well, there's this purple curtain in the church, it's going to be torn in two. But what they're really talking about is our own structure, our own body-mind unit. That's the temple they're talking about. And when we cut the flow of energy in the temple, in the structure, we end up in difficulty. And there's both a physiological and a psychological aspect of that veil of the temple. The holding of the breath is the way to physiologically shut down and therefore to open that veil of the temple. Psychologically, forgiveness, non-forgiveness is the way to shut it down. Living in denial is the way to reinforce shutdown. And forgiveness is the way to reopen 
that on a psychological level. Of course, denial being when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me. In order to, for my mind to follow that directive, to show me that somebody else is the problem in my life, I have to shut down the flow of information, the flow of energy, the truth about what's really causing whatever my disturbance is. Disturbance, pardon me, is. So the denial is the shutdown and is what causes us to hide information from ourselves. And then forgiveness is the way to access whatever has been shut down and remove it. As one, and, and this relation, and we talk oftentimes about healing crisis, this relates to the process of healing. I was talking with someone the other day, and I, I oftentimes refer and would invite everybody who's listening, if you haven't heard it previously, to uh, to check out a uh, a video. You can rent it on Amazon. You can go to a website, All the Rage Doc. That's one word. All the R A G E D O C as in document or documentary at dot com, and on that site you can rent a film, a video documentary called All the Rage, which is about the work of a man named Dr. John Sarno. And what the, what Dr. Sarno does is he instructs people as a he's a back surgeon. That was his original work. He's a researcher at I believe it was University of Buffalo, Rusk Center, if I remember correctly. And he's teaching people that their back pain, as opposed to being as a result of the injury they had or what have you, that it's a result of shutting down energy, and that is the energy of rage. So when one locks into rage, i.e., from the belief that something outside of us is the cause of what's moving inside of us, the real cause of what's moving inside us is locking into tissue, and that that's where the cause of our pain is. And so the mind engages in a whole process of lying every time that we're in denial and has to shut down an aspect of the truth about ourselves in order to live in that state of denial. So denial means I have to dissociate from the energy of the truth, putting in terms of energy, I have to dissociate from the energy of the truth in order to make up a a whole perceptual construct that something outside of me is the problem. And wherever that energy is locked, that energy is going to create disease. So I was working with someone the other day, and they shared with me that they had watched that video. And one of the things that they were dealing with was whenever they would sit in the car and drive, they would have in their low back a like a hot poker. You know, that kind of pain. And that they were watching that video at my recommendation And the next time they got in the car to drive, that was gone. And they realized that something had opened for them while they were watching that video. So one of the ways, and I'm just sort of in contemplating 
why does that happen? And one is that we come to a level of understanding, and two, a level of safety that allows us to open what needs to be opened. That's one of the things that helps us to open this veil of the temple is safety. You know, whenever I start an intensive, if you've ever been in an intensive at Heartland with us, You'll recall that I always start out with the instruction that says, you know, the idea of being here. One of the things is to to create a space of safety. And the reason why we've hidden things from ourselves or not dealt with things in our lives is because there was a point where we felt like it wasn't safe. We experienced that it wasn't safe to deal with this. And so we shut down the flow of energy. We shut down the flow of information through our denial or through our unwillingness or through locking up tissue. And this is where Dr. Saro comes up with a disease process he calls TMS, something that's totally and completely caused by the mind, but a totally and completely physical problem. Mind-body interaction. The TMS stands for tension mitosis syndrome. In other words, pardon me, in other words, if I have rage and I'm two and a parent turns around with a fist toward my head in response to my rage, I'm going to decide it's not safe to feel that rage and I'm going to stop the flow of energy, but I've got to put that energy somewhere. And what Dr. Sarno explains is when people do that, they restrict muscular activity in response to that lack of safety. And by restricting or tensing muscles, tension mitosis syndrome, by tensing muscles, those muscles restrict blood flow. And the restriction of blood flow, one, locks energy into tissue, and two, what he offers is that if there's a 5% lack of oxygen in tissue, then that tissue's in excruciating pain. As a result of two things. One, the restriction of flow, and two, the locking in of the energy that never belonged. The objective, you know, so there's the physiological and the psychological aspect of shutting down the veil of the temple. Forgiveness allows one to access the been hidden, it, it, it is the mechanism through which we get to remember what we've had hidden or what we've hidden from ourselves. And you'll notice whenever someone goes into, it's not safe, I can't feel, I don't want to feel this, that that will also be a moment where they hold their breath. Hence, the locking of the breath creates this lack of flow in tissue and the lack of safety, the lack of permission to be with the truth of what's moving results in that energy being locked away. When one goes into, because it's not safe, a state of fear, That state of fear is expressed physiologically by creating this tension which restricts blood flow. 
now one goes into actually restricts and redirects blood flow, especially if one goes so far into their fear or their rage or their stress that they create a state of sympathetic dominance and that totally restructures the way blood flows throughout the whole human structure. Sympathetic dominance is the historical generational response to it's not safe, I've got to survive. So it's the survival mode of the structure. And in that survival mode, the blood is shunted to the larger muscles to empower one to either run or fight and shunted to the lungs so that the lungs can take in more oxygen to supply that survival mode with the energy to fight off whatever needs to be fought off or to escape from whatever one thinks to escape from. It's a wonderful mechanism. And it's designed for actual circumstances and situations where there is, in fact, threat. But most people live in that state chronically even though there is no actual threat at the given moment. And so vitalizing one's own structure, and there are many ways to do that. You know, there's a a great story in the ancient scriptures about a woman who's, we're told, has this physical disease. It's been going on for 12 years. She has what they call an issue of blood. She's got a 12-year period going on, which is a horribly traumatic thing for someone in that culture in particular. Because in the Judaic culture, a woman who is menstruating was unclean. She couldn't handle food. She couldn't feed her family. She couldn't go into her own kitchen. So we've got a restriction of the flow of energy as relates to her Regenerative organs. And what does she look for? She's searching out this man, Yeshua, who she understands has a level of vitality and aliveness that's far beyond her own. And she knows that if she can just touch the hem of his garment, is the way it's stated in the scriptures. Now, I'm offering, they weren't talking about going over and touching a piece of cloth his shirt or what have you, or his garment. Touching the hem of his garment meant moving into a space where there was safety and support, literally energetic support, touching into his energy field that vitalized her own. And in that vitalized state, she was able to process the energy that had been hidden through whatever, and they don't explain in that particular passage what she was processing. But whatever it was, in a matter of a moment or two, a 12-year period stopped, which was a major, major healing for this woman. And that tells us about one of the ways that we can 
soften and open the restriction of the movement of energy through our structure that creates debilitating dis-ease conditions. So when she felt safe enough in the presence of such a powerful space of love as Yeshua carried and was able to connect to the vitality that he carried, she was able to move through whatever it was that she needed to move through. To recognize that the direct connection of active present love for each of us resides within us and resides with who we are as human beings. When we cut ourselves off from the awareness of ourselves as love, and that usually happens with the first power person message that we get from someone who has more power over lives than we do, that is not functioning out of love, and that we perceive the circumstances of survival when those three conditions are met and somebody buys into the thought disorder that's fed to them. And the first thought disorder for most people is usually something like, you're broken, there's something wrong with you. And when people buy into that, then they lock away energetically the awareness of who they are. that they are the source of love that they're looking for. And that that resides within them. Most people look to the outer world for that support. I think it was, oh, who was, I'm not even sure, one of the considered saints said, what you are looking for is what is looking are that solution. But if you cut yourself off from that energy, if you lock that energy away, then the tendency is to look in the outer world for it. And there are many who will take advantage of that and promote the idea that, yes, the answer's in the outer world, and you're not it, and you don't have the right to access it because you're broken, and to be fixed, you have to come to me. <laughs> when the truth is, the answer's within you. The same creative power that was in this man named Yeshua, and that's what led him to say, the things I do, you can do, and greater because I go to the Father, he said. I go to the power within me that is the same as the power within you, the Father within that does the works. Now, that was a language that's been translated and considered to be theological or religious, but there's nothing religious about it. It was simply brought through to this culture with a filter of churchianity and unfortunately, in many cases, not always, but in many cases, that became the, the game that showed you that the, that the challenge, or pardon me, the answer was outside of you, and you always, of course, had to pay tribute to the gatekeeper for that, rather than recognizing that your birthright is to live with that source that is within you. 
And nobody has the right to shut, to tell the story that reinforces the shutting down of that direct experience of source energy that you are designed to live out of. And so, again, physiologically, the way to open that energy is with the breath. Psychologically, is to open it with forgiveness. When you open your own, you know, it, it's unnatural for a human being to have an unconscious mind. Now, if we talk to the average psychologist today, they'll tell us that some 80, 90, 95, maybe as much as 98% of our thinking is unconscious. If 98% of our thinking is unconscious, that's what, what Michael is referring to in his book when he talks about the holding back of energy that we cut ourselves off from that. And the whole idea of an unconscious is an artificially created state in a human being that comes about as a result of denial. And whatever's going on inside of us, if we formulate realities and then blame somebody outside of us as being the cause of those realities, then we're hiding from ourselves or locking away the energy that is naturally designed to flow within us. One of the reasons, you know, why we've uh, chosen to represent a device called the Avacyn is because the Avacyn is a physiological form of forgiveness. Physiologically, what it does to the structure is it opens the restricted capillary muscles, you know, at the head of each capillary. The way that blood gets to a cell happens not through a vein, not through an artery, but through capillaries, blood vessels that are somewhere between a tenth and a hundredth the thickness of a hair. And at the head of each capillary, there's a set of muscle fibers called the capillary orifice. When you think of someone being uptight, you know, imagine you're sitting quietly reading a book, enjoying the bird sounds outside. It's a beautiful day. The windows are open. The breeze is blowing through. And you're just in this deep, relaxed state. And all of a sudden, you hear a sound that your mind interprets as there is a present threat. Just pay attention if you, you know, imagine yourself sitting there quietly, gently, safely reading a book, and then all of a sudden there's this threat. What happens? The energy gathers within and a tension happens, tension mitosis syndrome. Just, and in fact, if you notice, at least most people that I've shared this with, they're, they're sitting, they're in that relaxed place, and the minute that they think about that threatening sound, everything in them tightens and, and they actually rise up somewhat. That's the tension mitosis syndrome, and it changes blood flow throughout the whole structure. What the Avacyn does is through the palm of the hand, it 
pours heat into the bloodstream directly. Within about 10 minutes of having your hand inside of that machine, all of the blood in your structure, so you're getting a whole body treatment, all of the blood in your structure is warmed by just a little bit less than one degree. When you pour that warmed blood, which being warmed means it's been thinned, you know, the blood is what they call a non-Newtonian substance. You know, we have a saying, thicker than molasses in January. What are they talking about? Well, molasses is a Newtonian substance. In January, it's cold. It doesn't pour very well. It doesn't enter small spaces easily. When you warm the molasses, it pours more easily, and it goes into smaller spaces more easily. All the blood is a non-Newtonian liquid. When the temperature is raised by that one degree, the viscosity or the thickness of the blood is thin just ever so slightly. And now it gets into spaces that it could not get into a moment ago where those restrictions are. When that warmed blood flows over the what's called the precapillary orifice, the muscle fibers at the head of the capillary, those muscle fibers experiencing that flow of warmed blood soften and the capillary orifice, the, the, the valve at the head of each capillary, and we've got between 40 and 60 billion of them, the valve relaxes when it's warmed. When it relaxes, it opens. And now instead of tension mitosis syndrome, instead of restriction of blood flow, there's an opening of blood flow. When you get that blood back into the cell, the cell experiences oxygen that it hasn't been experiencing for who knows how long. Remember, Sarno talks about 5% lack of oxygen and the cells in excruciating pain. When you restore that oxygen flow, the pain goes away. That's the first thing that the FDA has cleared the Avacyn for, pain management. Sitting in that quiet, relaxed, safe place and then hearing that threatening sound and everything tightens up, that's all of these muscles, again, 40 to 60 billion of them at the head of capillaries, relax. The second thing that the Avacyn is cleared for by the FDA is relaxation. Most people have trouble sleeping and find all of a sudden they sleep. And so when those two things occur, when that relaxation occurs, when that blood flow is restored, the veil of the temple has been opened. Physical forgiveness occurs. The energy that has been restricted starts to move, and the energy flow is restored to the places it's designed to be restored to. So now the rearranged blood flow is restored to its normal pattern. And when that happens, whatever the mental, emotional content is that was being shut down, was being dissociated from, we get to open. 
So it's physiological forgiveness. Add the breath to that, and one gets to process whatever's hidden under the veil of the temple. Now, oftentimes people will process, they'll have memories come. They'll have access to that memory that was shut down. When you add breathing to the use of the Avacyn, you've now got a winning combination. When you add forgiveness to that, the psychological aspect of forgiveness, then everything starts to move. And so, so people then are able to process, and remember our definition in this work of processing, is the ability to keep love conscious, active, and present when something less than love surfaces. Now, when one goes into a memory and starts to process it, there may be the cognizant recall. One may have mental awareness of what it was that happened way back when they were two. And or they can just move into processing things energetically where one goes, well, gee, you know, I don't know just what happened. It's like the person that I was telling you that I was uh, working with that had, had this red hot poker when she sat in a car and drove. And while she was watching Sarno's video, video, whatever it was, she was able to process that. And that lockdown of energy was removed from her structure. And all of a sudden, this red-hot poker that affects her when she's driving is gone. She did not know she did not have any cognizant recall of what happened. She just knew something happened, something changed. And I've watched several people, and I'd suggest you, you spend the money. It's like 5 or $6 and or buy it. You know, buy it so you can go back and watch it often. You know, I've probably watched it 10 times in the last 10 or 15, well, I don't know what year it was, was originally recorded, but yeah, probably better than 10 years. Go back and watch it and build the brain cells for a different way of living. So when that veil of the temple is opened, healing happens. When it's opened in the presence of active love, and that's why one of the practices of this work is to spend time each day thinking from the mind of love in you, connecting with and cultivating your relationship with the mind of love in you. Recognizing that that mind of love is comes from who you are. And yes, that flies in the face of a lot of things we've been taught about ourselves. All of those power person thought disorders, that you're broken, there's something wrong with you, have to be forgiven, have to be faced and removed. And so that's part and parcel of where we're going with this work and our objective is to take these tools them in a format that makes it reasonable and doable to remove whatever never belonged and guess what never belonged your temple so to speak was not designed to hold or experience any energy based in any form of hostility or fear. 
Those energies are aberrant energies to human beingness and to human intelligence. Your physiology was designed to incarnate and to be an expression of the presence of your created essence, which is love. And maybe somebody didn't tell you from the beginning that your created essence was love, and that's what you were designed to live as. But the truth is, it's the stuff you're made of. It's the stuff that everyone around you is made of, no matter how, quote-unquote, terrible they may seem to be. And we develop the ability to start to see that in others, even others who are so crazy in their behavior, that they maybe deserve to be put in prison because they're not safe within the environment, to be able to see and tap into the truth about others and about ourselves. You can only tap into that truth about others when we tap into it about ourselves. But to be able to do that is to create a space of support for those who are living in the power personal lies they've been told about they're broken and there's something wrong with them. And all of the aberrant behavior in there, all the crazy stuff, all the rage, all the guilt, all the fear, all the greed, all the divorce, all the conflict is made of energetic patterns and never belonged in human forms. Truly, the veil of the temple must be rent in twain. And that's what we're here to do is to support individually and collectively every mind, heart, and being on the planet, understanding that and resolving, processing through whatever it is, whatever the thought disorder is that you were fed about yourself, whatever maybe has been going on within your generations for a thousand generations. To be able to directly bring that forward in the presence of love, to allow the veil of the temple, the the tissue structure that tightens to hold that energy pattern somewhere within your form. And one of the problems of tightening the energy structure and holding a disintegrative energy somewhere in your form is that part of your form, whatever the tissue is, will be diseased. There's only one disease in the world. They've got lots of names for it. But when you hold an energy that doesn't belong, wherever you hold it, the tissue that it's held in is going to be diseased. You've heard me say it before. You know, if you've got a disintegrative energy and you hold it in the big toe, then someone's going to tell you you've got the big toe disease. If it's held in the knee, the liver, the heart, the brain, they're going to tell you they've got the knee, the heart, the liver, the brain disease. There's only one disease, and that's an energy, unlike love, that doesn't belong within the human system. And a myriad of expressions of that disease that we have all these fancy Latin names for. And drugs have never resolved the disease. Because they are simply another way of locking down the veil of the temple. Locking down the energy flow. Oh yes, if you have this set of symptoms going on with this organ, and we can totally, completely anesthetize that organ... You know, one of my favorite examples is, you know, if you if you ask somebody or if you were to check somebody out, let's say you had the best lab in the world and somebody has this terrible headache and you took them into the lab, I guarantee you would not, with all the tests you could possibly run, find that their body lacks aspirin. But if you give them aspirin, 
Will their headache go away? Absolutely not. Will their awareness of their headache go away? Absolutely. But have you resolved anything by making the awareness of the headache go away? No. You'll do much better by teaching them how to open the TMS, the tension mitosis syndrome, that's the cause of their dis-ease process. Empower them, support them in realizing who they are and showing them how to embrace whatever that energy is and be relieved of it. Be relieved of an energy that doesn't belong within your structure, by the way, from the psychological perspective, that reflects as physiological change. It's called forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean I'm going to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. That's just another form of denial. Forgiveness is the act of opening the veil of mind temple, finding what lies beneath the surface, what's hidden through my denial, my dissociation, and my projection, bringing it to the presence of love in me and freeing myself from it. Whatever it is, the smallest little irritation, disturbance, or upset. And oftentimes, well, one of, the, one of the lines in The Course in Miracles is that your smallest irritation covers your deepest rage. And when you put rage into tissue, it kills the tissue, the organ that it's in. And I don't care what your diagnosis is. Break down that word, diagnosis. What's a dyad? That's two. What's an agnostic? Somebody who doesn't know. Diagnostic, two who don't know. But we'll pretend we know. And then we'll offer all kinds of suppressive, energetic ways to anesthetize or drive that even deeper into unconsciousness so that it seems to be gone. But sooner or later, you'll notice when they drive something into unconsciousness, they don't say that they're causing diseases by doing that. They say that there are side effects to doing that. You know, it's interesting, there's only one medical treatment that I've regularly heard from people, the phrase, I love the side effects of my medical treatment, and that's the Avacyn. There's nothing else I know of that people can say that about, because what it's doing is increasing the energy flow throughout the, at the structure, breaking down the barriers, opening the veil, and providing the blood flow that's needed to restore every cell to health. So thank you, Michael, for starting off on that, us on, off on that thought about energy and how we fight against it. And just what that, understanding just what that is, that fighting against it is, is one of the things that will allow the removal, the accessing of and the removal of what never belonged. And sometimes the things you're going to touch into that have to be removed are things that have been going on in your bloodline for generations and generations and generations. So I hope that's fitting and making sense for everybody. And Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anybody in the chat room with a thought for us? We've got about 20 minutes left. We actually have 15. Actually, we're closer to 15, right. yeah. <laughs> it's true. Nobody has a hand Time up. Time flies so when you're having fun. Yeah, you are first in line. 
Let's go for it. If you're out there in listener land, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. 563-999-3581. Call that number. That If you do that, you'll be listening to the show directly on your phone. And then if you push one, that'll raise a hand in the control panel, and we'll be having a conversation. So, Ms. Jeannie? Yep, you got a hand. Area code 205, oh, I believe it is Miss Joanne. We haven't heard from you in a while. Welcome to the show. That, that's right. Um, so it's so Hey, young lady. Welcome. Good to hear your voice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that was, um, not surprisingly, a wonderful, wonderful lesson and uh, relearning of things that you've taught me before. Um, Thank you so much for that. It was absolutely um, just wonderful. I intend to share it with several of my family members, uh, one who has bank issues and one who just, um, I just sense that there's something from her childhood. These are my adult children. Um, that that this might might just be the thing that triggers them to try something different. Um, well, we'll hold the space that they find the answer whatever it takes to move through whatever it is that they need to move through. And, you know, if in so doing uh, we can be of any support, they're certainly welcome to call the show and ask any questions they can or forgiveness or any other aspect of this work that we can support them with. Wonderful. So are you in um, Virginia or are you in... uh, Oh, we're in Bristol, Virginia. You know, we uh, we moved here about four years ago. I know, I know that you knew that. And, uh, you know, Jean's dad passed away a couple of months ago. And so that does not hold us here any longer. However, uh, in this last four years, we've been raising our granddaughter two to three days a week. So we continued that project. And uh, she's our link to home. And we're, this is it. This is where we are. We've, uh, we've gotten into doing a lot of gardening projects and uh, growing our, you know, more and more of our own food. We're, we're creating a native species garden to help pollinators in the area. And uh, so there's been a big, big shift in our lives. And, of course, the radio show goes on. We're doing online intensives. You know, things are just rocking forward, but in a different way. Are you doing anything at Heartland? We haven't had anything scheduled at Heartland since 2019. That was our last mm-hmm. Heartland adventure. We, we can't, you know, because of COVID... Uh, we've stopped or we had stopped and we almost did something this summer and uh, then we dropped that. It was just more on our plate than we could do. And so we'll probably take a shot at uh, at next summer. That'll be our first time opening since 2019. Awesome. That would yes. be wonderful. 
looking forward to it. So what's exciting in your world? I haven't heard your voice for some time. It was actually about two days ago I was thinking, you know, I wonder where you are. And, I, you know, I thought about, I need to call and just see what's going on. So I'm glad that either I got the message that you were thinking about heading in our direction or you got the message that I wanted to hear from you. Well, I was just taking care of my um, flowers that you and Jeannie, my orchids that you and Jeannie gave me when you stayed with me. Oh, sweet. Pampering it this morning. It still blossoms. And um, I've been spending a good amount of time at the beach. One of my sons bought a condo on Orange Beach, and it's just absolutely beautiful down there. Nice. I get to see my two granddaughters um, about once every four to six weeks. And Doesn't get better than that, does it? It really doesn't. It's just fabulous. So um, I hear you. I don't know if you know it, but uh, Michael J., my son, uh, you know, for 25 or more years, he's wanted to have a baby but just never connected with the right woman. And uh, they have a granddaughter now that's, uh, what, she's going on eight months. She's been circling the earth, and we've gotten to spend some time with her, and it's just awesome. We, The last time we were with them, it was like, Michael J., you can't take that baby back to Kansas City. you got to come to Bristol. You know, you can't take that baby away. So, but... You know, yeah. they've got family ties there that keep them there. And, of course, we've got family ties here that keep us here. So we just, uh, you know, work to cross paths as often as we can. Well, I surely would love to hear that little granddaughter that helps you do the radio program. I remember when she started saying the telephone number. Right. 999. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Jeannie, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad, but he had a good life, didn't he? He had a good life, uh, an amazing life, actually. I think Jeannie's probably tied up with Aria. She's here now. And he I had a wonderful her if she passing. I wanted to say the phone number. Oh. <laughs> Go for it, Jeannie. Yeah, the other day, actually, uh, she found uh, Dad had these um, lamb's wool things that we had bought that went around his hands to keep him from embedding his fingernails into his palm. And I had washed all of his clothes and things from the uh, assisted living, and she saw those the other day, and she goes, oh, well, Angel G-Pop doesn't need these anymore. And I said, you're right, he doesn't. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I will hang up, so make room for maybe you have time for another caller. Well, it's a delight to hear your voice, and I hope... Yeah, I hope this serves to to share with your family, and if we can be of any support, you know where we are. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Blessings, bye-bye. All right, Miss Jeannie. Well, let's see. We're down to about eight minutes. And we so have seven minutes. Seven minutes. So if you're out there, it's about time for a, 
a good question or so if you're out there with a thought for us. If not, I have a question that came in via text yesterday. So have we got anybody with a hand up there, Miss Jean? Nope, nobody has a hand up. Okay. And Aria said, well, Aria said, tell them that, it, that emotions are shadows of thoughts. I said, do you want to tell them? She goes, no, you tell them. <laughs> yes, she knows. So someone had asked me a question via text uh, about thought forms. And the question was, are they real? And do they exist within the structure? And then if someone dies, leaves the body, do they carry those forward? So if we go to the opening words in the book of John in the New Testament, Audrey, the word, the, the, the opening statement there says, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. At least that's what the Greek tell us it said. But in Aramaic, what it said is, in the beginning is the mind energy, and the mind energy becomes flesh. What cell biologists are showing us is that when we think of thought, that thought becomes a neuropeptide, an actual molecule in the structure. This is the thought form. And that molecule circulates around in the structure until it finds a cell with the receptor site that matches. And then, and it depends whose perspective you take, what they're primarily saying is that the cell then replicates the neuropeptide. I don't believe the cell replicates the neuropeptide. I believe the cell takes the mind energy, that molecule, and it inserts itself into the cell. If we were looking from inside the cell, it would show up as chemistry, that what we call a thought form. And when we bring together a number of thoughts, you know, the, the referral that I made earlier to the thought disorders that are fed to most people, that would be a thought form. You know, we were doing the, um, uh, you know, on uh, the second Thursday of every month, and maybe now it's going to be every, you know, the first and third as well on, on, with A Course in Miracles. We've been doing a study group out of London, England, uh, with a young lady named Yinka. And it's called the Hear My Voice Book Club. And they've been working with the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And in that study, they've been dealing with the forgiveness process. And one of the show, one of the, the sessions that we did, the young lady who runs the club had shared, this goes back a few months ago now, that she'd done a worksheet around, and I don't remember what, it, what the worksheet was about specifically, but what she uncovered was a thought form that she had about herself. And here's a woman who's, you know, she's got a son that's eight. I don't know exactly what age she is, but she's been circling the earth for a little while. And for the first time, she discovered that she believed that she wasn't worthy of life. So an underlying unconscious thought form, a structure of mind energy held within tissue, came to awareness for her. 
and actually she had done the worksheet you know the the session in england is at 8 30 in the evening it's 3 30 in the afternoon here so it's 8 30 in the evening and she had done that work that worksheet that morning and she was still in quite an emotional state over discovering this belief about herself that she just wasn't worthy and didn't know that she she's like i've lived my whole life with this underlying belief and no idea that it was there and that's the whole crux of forgiveness and what this work is about are those things permanent well if we never address them yes but there's no reason for them to be now we can take a thought form like let's say one like that and add to it you know maybe somebody at some point they hold this belief that I'm not worthy and then somebody comes along and abuses them and so they may add to that thought form and make it more complex into I'm not worthy and I deserve to be abused and then time goes on and functioning out of that holding that they might generate a perception of and there's always somebody who abuses me no matter what so now they're building a complex thought form operates within their minds and if it's a painful one usually operates unconsciously so they don't even know it's there as she had done most of her life When I begin to apply forgiveness, I start to break down those thought forms, those energetic patterns, and literally remove them. You know, one of the tools we have is the mind shifter. I don't know, Audrey, if there's a particular thought form that you've been working with or suspecting that you're carrying. If so, and you're on the show, I don't know whether you are, but if you push one, maybe we can come up with a mind shifter for you. And the mind shifter is designed to resonate unconscious thought forms so they can be cleared out mind energy that never belonged within the structure never belonged within our bloodline never belonged in a human form ever yet most of the world is functioning under those energetic patterns the forgiveness process specifically is designed to access and deal with and remove those things and you know this work I don't know if you're aware of this but this work started out with just the forgiveness process and then everything else that we've added every other tool whether it's the commitment or the responsibility communication or the codependence worksheet or the power person each of those tools is designed to assist us to uncover aspects of the thought forms that we hold that are destructive to us and to remove them so thank you for your question and everybody delighted that you spent this time with us and I hope that you're getting ready to have the best year yet of your eternal life it's an awesome gift to give the world the world needs it and you have the power to give it blessings bye-bye Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org 
That's www.whyagain.org.